Welcome to Hope Community Church of Hickory. We are so glad you decided to join us online. Make sure and hit the follow and notification buttons to keep up to date with all of our sermons. Here is our latest message. Let's give the Lord some praise one more time. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to uh, the book of Luke, chapter 2, as we continue our series entitled Good News, Great Joy. And for those of you who are not familiar with my story, I am the youngest child in a pretty large family. My parents decided to have a lot of kids in a very short time span, so they're either superheroes or completely insane. The jury is still out. I'm just kidding. You guys are superheroes, I promise. My parents are here today. I got to be more careful. (laughs) But, you know, this week, my mom, she'd been listening. uh, She'd been keeping up with our series on uh, Apple Music or Spotify or our podcasting of the sermons. And she had been listening to the series. And um, she had been listening to the past couple weeks when we talked about some of these surprise pregnancies that Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph were dealing with. And she said it made her think of of her own surprise pregnancy that she went through back in the day. And so this past Monday, my mom, she had found a letter that she had written to her mom on Mother's Day of 1990. And she sent it in our family group chat. And at this time, keep in mind, at this time, my parents have a five-year-old daughter, a four-year-old daughter, a two-year-old son, a 10-month-old baby boy, and they were in the process of moving to Northern Ireland to go plant a church. And it's in this context that my mom writes to her mother and says, Dear Mom, because of Mother's Day and because you're such a wonderful mom, you have the privilege of being the first to know you have yet another grandchild on the way. Now, before you start moaning and rolling your eyes, let me hasten to add that this one was entirely God's idea and we trust him. This little person, no doubt, has a special job for the Lord in store. I have to admit to feeling not really ready for this yet. I'm sure you can sympathize with me. But Matt, of course, is thrilled and promises to do everything he can to make it easy on me. As for the girls, they began months ago telling us they want another baby. I figure I'm only about three weeks along. I think the baby will arrive in mid to late January. And yes, we will be out of the country at that time. My mom, she sent us this picture in our family group chat, and my um, softy of an older brother, he responded with some crying face emojis, and then I responded with a gif of Shaquille O'Neal saying, ready or not, here I come. (laughs) (laughs) And I ended up getting a little bit of payback for this, because whenever Rachel and I followed the Lord's call to plant a church, the very weekend we moved into our house here in Hickory, we found out that our son Fletcher was coming. So I don't know what it is about God wanting there to be a legacy in our family of planting churches and having babies at the same exact time, but God has a way of interrupting our plans from time to time. Have you experienced that? Sometimes, so often, we think that we have a schedule, we have a plan, and that things are going to go according to, but God has a way of throwing a wrench into our schedules, into our plans, and giving us a different direction. You know, I share that with you today because Christmas is a day of divine interruption. Christmas is the day that we celebrate the child that interrupted history. Christmas is the day that we celebrate the child that interrupted Satan's rule and reign over this earth. 
Christmas is the day that we celebrate the child that interrupted sin's grip on mankind. We celebrate the child that was the most famous baby ever born. We celebrate the child that would change the way the world, the way the world saw morality. We celebrate the child that changed the way we mark our calendars. We celebrate the child that changed absolutely everything. And last week, we talked about how this child interrupted Mary and Joseph's life and plans. And at his birth, we're going to see another group that gets their everyday lives interrupted as well. So if you look with me in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, Dr. Luke writes, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people." For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Would you guys pray with me one more time? We'll get into this a little bit further. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for all that you are. Thank you so much for the season of Christmas and and what we really get to celebrate today and tomorrow. And I pray that our celebration of you would not just be limited to these few days of gift-giving and celebration, but I pray it would set a tone for our entire year and our entire lives, that we would constantly give you praise and glorify and celebrate all that you are. I pray today as we're gathered together, we will be filled with a different level of gratitude than we've experienced in a while for your birth, for your death, and for your resurrection. I pray right now in these moments, all the distractions and stress of life would cease as we focus on you and your goodness and your glory and your love. I pray your Holy Spirit fill me and speak through me because I know without your power, without your truth, without your love behind every word, I cannot say anything of any significance or importance. So you be glorified today. We love you. Jesus is in the power of your name, we pray. Amen. No, I'm an overthinker sometimes, and Rachel's probably rolling her eyes because that's probably a bit of an understatement. (laughs) I'm an overthinker a lot of times, but I also think as a pastor, you kind of have to be sometimes. But there's so many things within the Christmas season that we just kind of take and we just kind of roll with because it's just kind of Christmas traditions. But if we really think about them, they don't really make much sense. You know, like our nativity scenes. 
We always have the wise men there giving their gifts to the little baby Jesus. But we know from scripture that these wise men didn't show up until Jesus was at least two years old. So it doesn't make much sense why we put him in our nativity scenes. But, you know, I get it. Okay, they were a part of the Christmas story. They played a powerful part in the narrative. And so we want to have them included. It's not a big deal. I get that. But here's one thing that really boggles my mind. And it's the song Silent Night. Anyone familiar with that song? Right. Because first off, Mary had a baby. She had no epidurals. She had no pain medication. There were no doctors. There were no midwives. She didn't even have a bed to deliver this baby on. And Jesus was also a human baby. And human babies do not just sleep eight hours through the night as soon as they're being brought into the world. Am I right, Kelsey? Right? There's no way you can convince me that this was a silent night for this couple there. But then we get to verse 2, and look at the lyrics here for verse 2. Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. Glory stream from heaven afar, Christ the Savior is born, Christ the Savior is born. So tell me, how do you have a silent night with shepherds quaking or trembling at the same time? How do you have a silent night with glory streaming from heaven afar? This may have started out as a silent night. It may have been just a normal, regular little night with the, with the flocks out in the fields like that. But I'm telling you, it soon got interrupted because as soon as it turned into a holy night, this then became a hectic night for these shepherds. This was the most wonderfully terrifying night of these shepherds' lives. But I think so often whenever we think about this scene, we picture it as this cute moment between this nice angel and a few humble shepherds. And it's probably because we're used to hearing this story told as a children's story, right? which isn't a bad thing at all. But it can kind of take away from the magnitude of this moment here. Now, here recently, you know, whenever we've been reading to our son Fletcher before bed, obviously I've been trying to stick to the Christmas stories. And here are some of the illustrations that we've seen here. Here's picture number one. Here we have this beautiful, glowing, almost fluorescent lady angel that just captivates the attention of the shepherds. Here in picture two, now we have the curly-headed redhead angel in his white robe with his backup choir, you know. And then in picture three, of course, now we have the chubby cheek angel babies, right? And I get it that these are all children's books, but I think if we're honest, these are probably some pretty accurate depictions of how we picture this moment whenever we read this passage of Scripture. However, this is not the way the Bible depicts angels. Now, I do not think at this time that these shepherds would have seen something like the living creatures that were described in the book of Ezekiel and Revelation. You know, there are times in Scripture where angels take on a similar form to humans. And I think what Daniel went through in Daniel chapter 10 probably gives us the most accurate insight to what these shepherds would have gone through and experienced whenever this angel showed up. See, Daniel, he describes an encounter he has with an angel. He wasn't alone at the time. There were other people with him who couldn't see the angel, but they could feel the presence of the angel. And just feeling that presence of a being that had stood in the very throne room of God filled them with so much fear that they ran away terrified. But Daniel, he was left alone seeing this great sight. And this is how he describes it in Daniel chapter 10. He says, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. 
His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning. His eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze, and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. He goes on to say that whenever this angel spoke, it filled him with so much terror that he actually fainted as soon as this angel spoke. The angel had to then pick him up, but he was still trembling in fear. And he goes on to say in verse 18, then the one who looked like a man touched me again, and then I felt my strength returning. Don't be afraid, he said, for you are very precious to God. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. Can you see how this is a similar encounter to the ones the shepherds are going through. Because if you go back to Luke 9, Luke says, the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord showed around them and they were filled with great fear. Now, this term great fear is a heavy phrase because first, the word that's translated as great comes from the Greek word megas, which is where we get our word mega. So it says, this is mega fear they're talking about right here. Also in the Greek, you have two primary words that are primarily translated as the word fear. One is the word phobos. This is fear, dread, terror. It's the feeling of fear. The other one is the word phobeo. It means to put flight by terrifying. So that's when you allow fear to dictate your actions. So you have two words. One's the feeling of fear. One is whenever fear just kind of takes over your body. And they are used in different contexts throughout the New Testament. However, in this passage in Luke chapter 2, this term, in this term great fear, if we see this verse put up, it actually reads, if you look in the original language, it says megas Phobos. So they actually use both words for the word fear here to put a double emphasis on the fear that these shepherds are experiencing here. So not only are they feeling the fear and terror and dread, but they are also completely paralyzed with fear that they have no control over their bodies. That sounds a lot like what Daniel went through back in the day, right? So this was easily the most terrifying moment of their lives. But the angel doesn't want them to stay within that fear. I get chills in that passage whenever we read in Daniel chapter 10 when the angel's response to Daniel where he says, don't be afraid. You are very precious to God. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. But the angel here in Luke chapter 2 has an even greater message for these shepherds. It says, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now that word great and great joy is also the Greek word megas. So this good news is of mega joy. The angel wants them to go from mega fear to mega joy because that's exactly what Jesus does. For our first point today, Jesus replaces great fear with great joy. Now, this word joy in the original language, it means a calm delight or the cause or occasion of joy. So Jesus, he not only brings a calm delight to your soul, but he is also the root cause for the joy in your life. This is the same word that's used that when Jesus says that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who need no repentance. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he describes the joy that a mother feels whenever she first holds her newborn child and realizes her entire life has changed. You see, whenever we come to Christ, this joy becomes a part of who we are. 
Now, the word joy and the word happy that comes from the word blessed that we talked about a few weeks ago, they're not completely separable, but they're not exactly the same thing either. You see, because joy is a state of being. Happiness is an emotional reaction. You know, happiness comes from the root word for happenings. So happiness is a natural emotion that we experience whenever things happen to go well. But joy is an intrinsic part of our nature in Christ that remains even whenever things go wrong. I heard one pastor say that Christians are the only people on the planet that can grieve and have joy at the same time. That's why the Bible says we do not grieve as those who do not have hope. How is that possible? Because our joy is not rooted in our happenings. Our joy is rooted in something so much more sustainable. That's why in Nehemiah 8.10, it says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's why David, he talks to God in Psalm 16, and says, you make known to me the path of life, for in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In 1 Chronicles, it says, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I love this part. Strength and joy are his place. His space, his home, the place in which he operates is joy. That's why C.S. Lewis once said that joy is the serious business of heaven. God takes joy very seriously. And he went to great lengths for you to be able to experience great joy. Now the question is, who is this great joy available to? Well, the angel said, again, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So here we see that this good news and great joy is for everyone. The good news that God became a human is for all people. The great joy that his presence brings is for all people. And God makes this so evident in the fact that outside of Mary and Joseph, the first people that he announces this good news to were those who were generally excluded from their society to let them know in his kingdom they were included. See, these shepherds, because of their line of work, they were seen as ceremonially unclean in the Jewish society. Therefore, they were prohibited for participating in any temple worship. Because of the 24-7 nature of their duties of watching these sheep, they were not normally able to observe the Sabbath in the, the way the religious leaders said you were supposed to. And so they were placed under a rabbinic ban from all religious activities. And that society, these shepherds, they were thought so low of that they were seen as only one little step higher than the lepers who were outcasts of society. These, these shepherds, they were outcasts. They were marginalized. They were seen as so untrustworthy, they were not even allowed to serve as witnesses on court cases. In our day and age, we say that someone cusses like a sailor. In their day and age, they probably would have said that someone cusses like a shepherd. That's just the way that they were seen. They would have been seen as the least religious people on the planet, which is also a little strange because the Bible had always spoken pretty favorably about shepherds. You know, some of their most prominent forefathers had stints of being shepherds. Abraham had been a shepherd. Moses had been a shepherd. King David had been a shepherd. The prophet Amos was a shepherd. Kings were referred to as shepherds of God's people. God was referred to as a shepherd multiple times throughout the Old Testament. Jesus would go on to refer to himself as the good shepherd. But even with all of this scripture, the shepherds, they were still outcasts of their society and their places of worship. 
that should, that should cause us to pause and check ourselves. You see, we should never be quick to reject those that God is willing to redeem. And we should be make sure we're rooting ourselves in Scripture, knowing where his heart is. Because what we may see as simple, God can make significant. What we may pass over, God pursues. Romans 12, 11 is very clear. God shows no partiality. And 2 Peter 2, 9 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come into repentance. Romans 1, 16 says, the gospel is the power of God and salvation for all who believe. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the what? World that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. There is not a single person on this planet the gospel is not for. Now, there are many people that won't accept him, but that doesn't mean that this good news and great joy is not just as available to them. And you know, there may be some in this room that can very much relate to what these shepherds were going through. Maybe you've been marginalized. Maybe you've been rejected, hurt, or in some ways outcasted from the church or some sort of religious system. And if that's you, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you had to go through that because that does not reflect the heart of our God. And my hope and my prayer would be that you would focus on him and his goodness more than you would the shortcomings of fallen human beings. But no matter if you've been overlooked or rejected, no matter if you feel like the most unreligious person in the world, no matter if you have never had a spiritual thought before in your life, Jesus was born for you. No matter what your background is, no matter if you have a criminal record, no matter how far off you have felt from God in your life, no matter what your past holds or your family background holds, God gave the gift of his son for you. And this is what makes Christmas so amazing and so undervalued, in my opinion. Because Christmas nowadays in our society, it's more so associated with this idea and the message of Santa Claus, right? Who makes his list, who checks it twice, who finds out who's been naughty or nice. He determines who has been good enough to deserve getting gifts. And I'm not here to make any statements or pass any judgments on the, the way you decide to celebrate and observe Christmas traditions in your household. I'm not doing any of that. I just want to make the point, and I think we can all agree, Jesus is better than Santa, okay? Because Jesus comes to give good gifts. He comes to give the gift. Most importantly, he comes to give the gift of himself to us, and his gift giving is not dependent upon our performance, in fact, he gives us the gift of salvation and blessing and favor despite our performance. The angel tells these unclean, overlooked, irreligious shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is what separates Christianity and the message of Jesus from every other religion on the planet, because every other religion is all about all the things you need to do in order to make your way to God. They're all about the systems and the customs and traditions that you need to keep up with in order to get closer or maintain a higher favor with whatever higher power they choose to worship. But the reality is there's nothing you could ever do to get to God, so God came to you in the person of Jesus Christ. Like the old song says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Make no mistake, you don't find God. God found you. He came to you, and he offers you this good news and great joy that he has come and who he has come to be for you. The angel is very clear 
that he is Savior, Christ, the Lord. Not just a Lord. He is the Lord. Literally, the master, the one who has the power of deciding. This is not just a title of respect that Jesus is giving here. This is a claim of his deity, that he is God. He is the master. He is the Lord. And he is also the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. The only one who could come to do what no one else could ever do. And finally, he is Savior. It can also be translated deliverer. First and foremost, Gabriel, he was very clear with Joseph that they would call his name Jesus. Why? Because he would save. He would deliver the people from their sin. He has come to, live, to deliver us from our sin. You know, every lie, every bad deed, every bit of selfishness, within us, every shortcoming, every fault, every failure we've ever had in our lives, it had separated us from God because he's holy and he cannot be within the presence of sin. And it gave us an eternal sentence of guilty and the penalty for it was death, eternal separation from God. But that baby boy that was born in Bethlehem would grow up to deliver us from that sentence. He would deliver us from the sin that we could not escape. And he would use a cross to bridge the gap of separation that separated us from God forever. He delivers us from condemnation. He offers us communion with God himself. He delivers us from depression. And he offers us deep significance in God's kingdom. He delivers us from fear and he offers us great joy. He delivers us from chaos and he offers us a king. He delivers us from oppression and he offers us a path to his presence directly. He delivers us from the weariness of this life and he offers us rest for our souls. And the final enemy that he delivers us from is death because he died in our place. And he defeated the grave whenever he rose from the dead. And because of that, we can confidently say, like Paul did whenever he quoted the prophet, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He is your savior. He is your deliverer. And you may choose not to accept this salvation, but that doesn't change the fact that he is still savior. You and I's opinion of him will never change who he is. That's why Paul, he writes to Timothy and he says, for to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially to those who believe. You know, the only ones who will be saved are the ones who recognize their need to be saved. It's just the way that it works. Whenever we come to the realization that we can't save ourselves, we can't be our own God, we can't fix ourselves, we need a Savior. But if we refuse to recognize our need to be saved, if we reject his offer of salvation, he is still Savior, whether you accept him or not. But for those who do accept him, for all those who do receive him, we are given the right to be called children of God. And we experience this good news and this great joy and peace with God and eternal security. That's what Jesus was born to offer us. That's why he was born. That's why the multitude of angels show up to declare glory to God in the highest and on earth peace with those with whom he is pleased. And the question is, who is God pleased with? How do you please God? 
There's only one way to please God. And it's not through doing enough good deeds or bad deeds. It's not through singing the right songs or attending enough services. It's not through giving enough money away or obtaining some sort of status or success. The only way to please God is to accept his son. And Colossians tells us that once we accept Jesus, our lives are then hidden in Christ. That means now when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sins and your faults and your failures. He only sees the perfection of his son with whom he is well pleased. So if we accept him and are hidden in him, then the promise is that we will experience peace even on this earth. And you will experience peace when God is the most glorified in your life. This is how it works. Giving glory to God in the highest results in peace among those who have accepted his son. You know, that word peace has such a beautiful definition in the original language. And it says that this peace is the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and being content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. You see, whenever you have peace with God in your life, no matter how hurtful or difficult or backwards this world gets, you can still have a calmly happy, tranquil soul because you know that this world is not your home. Your joy is not rooted in the happenings of this world earth. This life is just a vapor. And that's why the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Because whenever we have the peace of God, we are no longer filled with great fear. We are filled with great joy, knowing that the Lord has come to us, knowing that the King is here for you, all because that baby was born in Bethlehem. Amen? So come on, let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Let's sing. Let's give glory to God in the highest one more time. Let's sing about this good news and great joy that's available to us. That's what this whole Christmas season is about. Let's worship. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share what you heard this week, make sure and tag at hope underscore HKY on Instagram or Hope Hickory on Facebook. If you want to partner with our ministry, you can give online at hopehickory.org.